0: Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10am right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God. and They're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. One thing I did a lot more uh, than la- last year than normal, and you might have fallen into this trap too, Uh, was ordering things online. Anybody else fall into this trap of ordering a lot more online? Yep, Tim, good. Um, One method I did this through was through Amazon Prime. So you pay a subscription and then you get free shipping and you also get a music and video streaming service included, which was, you know, it's good value. Um, this isn't an Amazon ad, by the way, um, but I even got some very heavy items sent through Amazon Prime, which were the same price as the supermarket, just so it would come straight to me. I didn't have to worry about going to Woolworths, um, which to me is like, just, it's just crazy, isn't it? But do you think that people at Amazon ever wonder about the person that gets the parcel at the other end? I don't reckon they could give two hoots about who is getting the, what they're sending. I mean, who would? They've made their money and they move on. And the people behind it, if a person actually is ever behind it, um, they're just there to do a job. But when Jesus sends, what he sends has an internal impact. It is not just a temporary moment of joy as you unwrap that box. That joy lasts for eternity. That's what I'm I'm preaching on today. Sent by Jesus. Not like a box, but something even better. So as you open the scriptures, get those Bibles out. Luke 10, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as your word is open this morning, that Lord, you would speak to us. That Lord, you would encourage us and you would give us the hope that is in you. And uh, that, Lord, as we delve into this passage, Lord, make it a for us, we pray this morning. Amen. Well, one thing that Jesus is, is Jesus is consistent. In chapter 9, we saw that Jesus sent out the 12 with power, authority and purpose. And we see much the same thing here in chapter 10 as he sends out the 72. He sends them in pairs to every town and place where Jesus was about to go, heralding the message of hope that is to come. And Jesus has been sending people to prepare the way for his message of hope since the beginning. Look at his words here in verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly for uh, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. The harvest is indeed plentiful. This fact has not changed and it is particularly true here in Australia. The last census in records uh, that we did in 2016, that wonderful one that was online that no one could actually get online to do, if you remember that at the time, it said that 12 million Aussies, over 12 million Australians identify as Christians, just over half the population, 52%. So why aren't there 15,000 people in churches here in Wangaratta? If those statistics were true in our town then each church should average around 1,000 people. There's about 15 or so churches. But we don't see churches of 1,000 in our city, do we? Yet. That's because the harvest is plentiful. Those same statistics reveal that only 16% of our population actually attend church a gap already exists in our nation of 36% between those who identify as a Christian and those who actually go to church. Or if we want to put numbers on it, 8.4 million Australians are affiliated with Christianity but don't go to church. In our context here in Wangaratta, using those statistics... Around 15,000 people say that they are Christian, except only 4,640, averaged, go to church. There are over 10,000 people in our very own town who identify as Christians, yet don't go to church. The harvest is plentiful. In the next couple of years, we're expecting some 7,000 people to moving in just down the road in new estates that are being built. 6,000 of those are people who need the hope of the gospel. The harvest is plentiful. But this passage also tells us that the workers are few. And this too has not changed. The workers are few. One big problem with Australia is that we are relatively wealthy. Australians are relatively wealthy compared to other nations. We've got really good public health system. We've got safe communities. We have a generous welfare system. We have great climate and life is easy. So the conclusion that most people come to is that they don't need God. They are comfortable, they are prosperous, so who needs God? This point was made clear to me a few years ago with a guy that came to our church in Adelaide. Eric was from Liberia, where the overwhelming majority of the nation are Christians. It was nearly 90% when we were speaking. He was saying that life was so hard, you had nothing else to do but rely on the Lord for your very existence. Yet when his people were able to migrate to Australia, hardly any of them continued in their faith because the government gave them all they needed. They were able to now live like kings comparatively. So who needs God? All of their needs were being met. They were able to afford cars, which was unthinkable in Liberia. That was their conclusion. And if the only measure you have of your need of God is food, clothing, housing and, and stuff, all provided by wealth, then these people are blind to the spiritual realities and so, I believe, are most Australians. The workers are few. The harvest is plenty, the, The workers are few. There are so many people to introduce to Jesus. Now, we're only a small congregation. How are we going to be able to reach the 25,000 people just in Wangaratta, let alone the rest of the Northeast, who need the hope of the gospel of Jesus if there's only 80 of us? Well, Jesus in this passage, he says two things. The first thing it says is to pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Now, I have been praying for 10 people to be saved, 10 new families and 10 new young adults and two of everything else by the end of 2022. That's our prayer plan as a church, 10, 10, 10, 22. And you too can continue to pray for this and more. We need more labourers. We need more people to join our church so we can reach more people with the hope of the gospel. People reach people. It's a simple fact. With 7,000 people moving into new developments just down the road in the next couple of years, that means statistically that over 1,000 church-attending people will be looking for a church as they move into the area. Why can't this be their church? Even if just 20% of that number choose us, that's another 200 people. 200 people to be sent into the harvest with us. 200 people who need a place to belong, a warm, welcoming, and vibrant family. 200 people who can join us joyfully serving the Northeast. 200 people who can help us bring hope to the Northeast. We need to be praying earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest here in Wangaratta and that they would find a great home base for ministry, be trained, equipped and loved here. The second thing that Jesus says at the start of verse 3 is go your way or go your way if you... Spell it really poorly, like I did, on the screen. Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out, are the words of Jesus. The Greek here means to lead or to lead as one sent out. Jesus has been sending people out before him, giving them power, authority and purpose, and here he tells his followers to go their way, lead the way. Jesus doesn't prescribe everything they are to do, He gives them opportunities to express their unique character and their giftings as they fulfil their mission, as they go out into the harvest. And so for us today, I'm glad that we are given the same opportunity to use our unique gifts and shape as a church to fulfil the mission of Jesus in our context, to bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel to the northeast. We don't have to look like every other church in Wangaratta. And isn't that great? Because I don't know if I would be able to survive in a high church, cathedral-style service very long. That doesn't do it for me. Um, I'm sure that there's all different churches in Wangaratta for a reason, because they are there to serve the breadth of the family of God. And each church is doing a great job. And so I encourage You know, you to to say to people, come to church. And if they come with you and this isn't right for them, find somewhere and take them with you somewhere else, then come back. But, you know, there are churches in Wangaratta that might suit each person a bit differently. And that's okay. We are all serving the mission of the church. We are all called to go our way. He does give some guidance to his followers as they go into the field to work and we do well to listen to those as well. The first one is to focus on those who respond positively. When Jesus sent out the 12, he told them to take nothing with them but rely on the goodwill and hospitality of those they were ministering to. And so when he sends out the 72, he does the same. When they got to the town, they were into a house with a greeting and a blessing. That's how they'd go into a house, greet and bless the, the household. And if they were received, if they were welcomed, they'd stay and minister from that house. They were to focus on those who respond positively a youth pastor mentor of mine would always encourage me to focus on the interested kids because those are the kids that you'll have more impact with. And this advice rings true for all generations. This, in fact, rings true for the whole church. Spend the most energy and effort with the people who are most interested Don't get distracted and waste time and energy on people who are against you. Focus on those that are with you and for you. And there'll be people who come and go in any church who either sign on to the vision and mission of the church and become those workers in the field harvesting with a hand at the plough right alongside you. But there'll also be those who don't see the vision and mission of the church lining up with their own shape their own fit and their own giftings and so they may go to a church that lines up more with their own ideas and focus for ministry and that's okay. To be blunt and honest with you, it's probably better they do go to the church that is a better fit for them rather than distract others and waste the energy and time fighting for the church to line up with their ideas and their focus for them for ministry rather than going somewhere that's a good fit for them. No point expending all that energy and effort fighting against what is existing to try and change it into something you might like and fits your preference when the church is already going their way. I won't be wasting the precious time we do have with arguments. I'd much prefer to spend that time focusing on those who respond positively just as Jesus instructed here in chapter 10. Spend that time focused in ministry on the most interested. And so that's the first guidance that Jesus gives in this passage, is to focus on those who respond positively. And the second is to act with integrity. Jesus instructs the 72 not to move from house to house. So why might they have wanted to move from house to house? Well, let's say that you go into a a town and the only people that welcome you have a small, modest home. But after you start ministering in that town, the wealthy people see your success, the honour and blessing coming to that host family that welcomed you, who were a nobody to them by comparison. Well, it wouldn't be an act of integrity to seek better lodging and to upgrade to a more comfortable home. That that wouldn't act with integrity. That would be seeking your own comfort above the ministry that you were there to do. And so the instruction is to act with integrity and gratitude for the home and for the people and the family that you first blessed and, and welcomed you in. Acting with integrity and gratitude is really important in ministry. Isn't it? As we're dealing with people, no one likes a hypocrite. And so, integrity means we are who we say we are. We don't have airs and pretenses and anything else. We don't seek, you know, dishonest gain or different means to, to promote ourselves. We honor the Lord. So, the first guidance in ministry that Jesus gives to focus on for the, is those who respond positively, the second is to act with integrity. And the third is to serve in your gifting. Jesus commanded the 72 to heal the sick in the villages that they were in. And the reality was there was a massive need existing for healing in every town and village because healthcare was basically non-existent. Just think about it. How many people here would not be alive if it weren't for medical intervention of modern medicine? Raise your hand if you would not be alive today if it weren't for modern medicine? Yeah, there's almost half of us, right? You know, I'm one of those twice. Or three times, maybe even four times, who knows? But just think: who here's taken antibiotics? Well, that's modern medicine, saved your life. If it was a, an infection or something like that, could have killed you, quite literally. There was no antibiotics in the first century. There was No appendectomies like I had two years ago, which I wouldn't be standing alive in front of you if I hadn't had that. This is the reality that they were in, great need. And they filled that great need. And Jesus had gifted them with the means to meet that need. What has he gifted you with to minister to the needs in our community? What has God blessed you with for his glory and for our collective good? Serve in your gifting. Don't try and be someone else. Be you. Serve in your gifting as God has gifted and blessed you for his glory and for our good. So the first guidance in ministry that Jesus gives is to focus on those who respond positively The second is to act with integrity. The third is to serve in your gifting. And the fourth is to share the gospel. If you take your friend who doesn't fit here at this church to another church and they don't share the gospel, don't take them there. That's how important the gospel is because otherwise it's just religion and no one is saved by religion. You're saved by Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus asked them to say to the people that the kingdom of God has come near to you. The coming and future kingdom which they were so eagerly awaiting had come near to them through the Son of God and his followers. The great hope that we have is in this coming kingdom of God where Jesus is on the throne victorious over sin and death. And so we too should be active in proclaiming the coming kingdom of of God through sharing with people the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And so the guidance that that Jesus gives to ministry is to focus on those that are most interested, those who respond positively, to act with integrity, to serve in your gifting, and share the gospel. It's no good if you do all the other activity and ministry and everything and have thousands of people, but you'd never share the gospel. We are here as followers of Jesus to share Jesus. And there are certainly four things we can easily employ in our life, in our life of service to the Lord and ministry here in the Northeast. But there is a warning. People will reject us and the message. Verse 10 Whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The reality is that when we focus on those who respond positively, act with integrity, serve in our gifting, and share the gospel, There will be those who reject us and the message of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But this shouldn't stop us from sharing the gospel or serving in our gifting or acting with integrity or focusing on those who respond positively. It should serve as motivation for us to continue in the mission that we've been sent to accomplish because Jesus is the one who has sent us. You will be rejected. The gospel will be rejected. But don't stop. Carry on with vigour because you don't want to capitulate and be faithless. And there are consequences to rejecting Jesus. Look at verse 13. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, Rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Basically, Jesus is saying that people, villages, towns, and cities that reject him will go to hell. You can't get more specific, and you can't be given a clearer warning than that. The consequences of rejecting Jesus is that hell is your destiny. This sobering reality should inspire and spurn us on to make sure that this is not the reality to befall anyone we know. Jesus has sent us before him so that they might meet him and respond in saving faith to the hope of the gospel. He uses us to do that. And it's not God's desire that anyone should perish with hell as their destiny. He has given us the greatest hope of salvation from destruction in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his son, for those who repent and believe. It's that simple. There is hope in Jesus and that is what we are to bring with us. And that hope in Jesus brings about another fantastic blessing and that is joy in our mission. There is great joy in serving the Lord. And so there's three types of joy that are here in these these last verses. The first is our joy. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. When we accomplish the plans and purposes that God has for our lives to bring him glory and to bring the hope of the gospel, It brings us great joy, just as these 72 had when they returned from their mission. They returned with joy as even the demons were subject before them in the name of Jesus. They were able to exercise power, authority and purpose. But just because we might be able to cast out demons or administer something in the Holy Spirit shouldn't be our primary source of joy. Verse 18, he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The greatest joy that we have comes from the sure knowledge that our names are written in heaven in the book of life. Our destiny is sealed in Christ. That brings us great joy. And the second type of joy is others' joy. See, the 72 returned in joy because they had been successful in their mission. They had healed the sick they had cast out demons, they had declared the kingdom of God, they had shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so in serving these people, they had bought the joy of healing, they bought the joy of deliverance, they bought the joy of the gospel to others. When we serve Jesus, there is joy for us, knowing that our names are written in the book of life, But there is also the joy of bringing the hope of the gospel to others who can then also experience that same joy. The third type of joy is God's joy. In that same hour, verse 21, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is a clear picture of the Trinity right here. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. It's a clear depiction of the Trinity. And God's joy is in his revelation to us by his grace that he may be known by us. And there is a glimpse of the excitement of Jesus in this very moment. Almost as though, you know, he couldn't contain how excited he was as he's talking to his disciples. And he says, How blessed you are! You get to see and hear the things that kings and prophets for generations would have loved to have seen and heard. And it gives us an insight into how much joy it gives God to see people accept his free gift of grace. May God continue to reveal himself and the person and work of Jesus to those whom we minister to so that there might be more joy, our joy, other people's joy and God's joy. So the guidance in ministry that Jesus gives is to focus on those who respond positively, act with integrity serve in your gifting and to share the gospel. But this comes with a warning. People will reject us in the message of the gospel and there are severe consequences to rejecting Jesus. But there is great hope in Jesus as he brings joy in our mission. Our joy, other people's joy and God's joy. And so... May we all be encouraged today to heed the warning and to respond in faithfulness and joy as we accept the task that Jesus has set before us to accomplish because the harvest is indeed plentiful, but sadly the workers are few. So let's go our way as God has called and directed our church and focus on those who respond positively. May we act with integrity. May we serve in our gifting and share the gospel of great hope and joy. Let me pray for you this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you indeed filled with the joy that we have in our hearts, that, Lord, you have indeed saved us. And, Lord, may that joy encourage us to not only just do life alone or with our family or just in a small world. May we broaden our, our relationships. May we step out into, into uncomfortables so that, Lord, we can bring the hope of the gospel with us wherever we go. Lord, send us into the harvest. You are Lord of the harvest. Lord, we ask you to send us labourers to come alongside us, and to join with us as we do indeed serve this uh, community that you've placed us in and bring hope and joy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.